my goal with this with this podcast is essentially it's actually related to what we we're just talking about with social media, right? Is like yeah. you were saying that you know you see this other guy in your class and he gets a hundred likes, and you know you post something and maybe it gets like three, and I think that. You know that that's true on a on a you know just in our schools, but it's also true on a macro level in the sense that you know you have these influencers or celebrities and they're getting you know millions of likes, millions of followers, and you know like you were saying earlier, that translates to lots of things like money and um, sexual options, uh, like you know options for partners and 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 all these things. And you know I'm looking at the world, and I see that it's it's trending more and more in that direction and i think that the celebrity culture is causing us to start um losing um not being grounded in like reality as much which is like everyday people struggling um mundane life and also i think that we're not hearing the stories of regular people going through struggles but we're we're focusing on um you know the, the sensational things in life okay so what you're saying is you're looking at like the celebrities and you're comparing your life to the celebrities yeah. is that what you're saying yeah well well and and i don't think everybody intends to compare themselves to that but you know if you're immersing yourself in that all the time it's kind of inevitable and i don't think and i don't just mean celebrities because i'm also talking about how, you know, you kind of mentioned like, oh, there's a, that guy in your class or, or you know, people in your class who are getting all hundreds of likes. And, and they're not celebrities, but they're celebrities in the sense that they're attractive, they're good looking, they're charismatic. Oh, yeah. Right? Or they have some other thing that they've done that makes them appear very valuable. Yeah, like the pretty boy in class. Pretty boy, athlete. The one that all the girls like. Like sure. the girl that you like, that's the guy that he likes. No, that's the guy that she, she likes. likes right? Well, yeah, and, yeah. and the funny thing is that that's the, that's the guy that all of these girls like. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and so, so I think my goal with this, one of the goals of this podcast is to say, hey, I have many friends who, um, you know, who no one ever wants to hear their story. You know, no one ever cares to get to know them. But I, but I think that they have a lot to teach the world. They have valuable experiences and insights and I want to give people an opportunity to share what they want to share and have a platform for that and so one of the ways to do that is through the podcast but also I'm trying to build a web app so that people can do it online too oh okay um, but that being said I think you know I I, I want to hear, you know, what's, what's your story and what parts of it are, you know, are hard to share. And obviously you don't have to share those things if you don't want to. But, it's all good. But um, I wanted to give you that opportunity to kind of talk about your life and what you've learned, how that's impacted you and how, how you got through it, if that makes sense. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, so where do I start? So... Um, I started off like pretty much my entire life, uh, even up just up until high school. I was like a really good student, 4.0 student, uh, maybe 3.9, but it's, it's about the same thing. Um, got into like a magnet school for international baccalaureate, was really smart. Um, everyone thought I was a genius growing up. 
Uh, it was my sophomore year, though, that I realized that um, school just start, stopped working for me. Learning just became extremely harder. Uh, a lot of people said I show a lot of symptoms of someone who possibly had ADD, mm-hmm. maybe even ADHD, just because I was kind of a weird kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of hard to deduce that based on what psychologists, even psychiatrists said, because mm-hmm. I was just really introverted, mm-hmm. and I kind of grew up pretty isolated. I had a hard time relating a lot to people, because mm-hmm. the way it works here in the United States, which is really interesting compared to, like, say, a country like China, China they really value or they really prioritize education. Yeah. Whereas when you go to a Western school, especially public school here in the United States, uh, they folk, the kids always talk about sports, they talk about football, they talk about basketball. And uh, when you get to middle school and high school, at least from my generation, I'm a late um, millennial, more early Gen Z. Mm-hmm. I was born in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, they were talking about Jersey Shore in middle school mm-hmm. and keeping up with the Kardashians. And I'm like, how am I supposed to relate to that? My interests were martial arts. I was interested in boxing. I liked anime. I liked manga. Mm-hmm. I really liked fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was hard to relate, and I just tried really hard in school because I always wanted to be a doctor mm-hmm. because of my heart problems growing up. Mm-hmm. My sophomore year, uh, school just stopped making sense to me. I had a harder, harder time learning, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And after that, uh, I just started getting really depressed because I was getting removed from my AP classes, my uh, my weighted chemistry classes, and I got really depressed. And uh, that was actually the moment in my life I started calling myself stupid. Mm-hmm. And whenever someone told me I was smart and I was capable, I would get upset with them because I thought they were lying to me. Because I hate it, and most people will hate it when you they are lied to just to make them feel better. Because I'm someone who's always about the numbers. I'm like, okay, you say I'm smart. Why am I getting Fs on my exams? Why am I getting Fs on my essays? And I'm trying to get help. I'm trying to ask for, I'm trying to be, I have a productive, I have a proactive mindset. But the teachers at the time say, oh, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. No, I'm getting an F. You gave me a D on this, on this essay or I'm not getting the material. So that doesn't say anything about you. It's just that it just isn't the best time for you. All my other classmates, who we all want to go to good schools, we all want to go to UCLA, we want to go to Berkeley, they're all getting above 4.0, so they're getting straight A's, whereas I'm getting C's and D's on everything. What does that say about me? And it was at that point, even after that, I would just get even more depressed because I would try really hard. Uh, you ever watch those uh, nature documentaries about elephants and baby elephants and how they're poached uh i don't know if i've seen the whole documentary on it but i know i know the idea of, of poaching i'm not sure specifically of which one you're talking about okay so specifically the way they raise baby elephants so into adulthood they put them through a cycle called pain frustration and failure mm-hmm. that's the key to what i'm talking about what they do to the baby elephant is they tie the baby elephant, they chain it to like a tree or like a post, and no matter how hard the baby elephant tries to escape from that post, mm. he feels pain because he's stuck, mm. and he gets frustrated that the that he's still he or she's still stuck, and he goes through that trauma and that mm. scars him for life, and so by the time he's a giant bigger elephant, 
he's not sure if he can still break out of that chain because his entire life that's always known was that he was stuck and he he got through the pain and frustration of being stuck to that post. Now that he's a big elephant, there's a chance that he might be able to break free of that chain, but that's all he's ever known was that he was stuck to the, to the, to the chain, to the post. So that's really similar to what I went through. I was trying really hard to get better at school. I was doing tutoring. I was asking for help. I was asking the smart kids in class. I was doing everything I could, but I just couldn't get better grades and I couldn't pass my classes. And coming out of high school, my only option was community college because not even Cal, the Cal State or the state school accepted me. And I was just trying my best to the rest of my remainder of high school and even in community college. I ended up spending uh, three years in community college, not four years. And it was actually when I was in my first year in community college, I got through Calc 1 pretty easily, even though I got a C. And um, Calc 2, that's when I met my limerent utter. And that was actually my Calculus 2 professor. So thing about me is that I'm a really skinny and small guy. Not a lot of girls want to go out with those types of guys. Mm-hmm. They want to go for, you know, you see it all the time on social media. Uh, they they want the guy who's like six foot tall, really mm-hmm. rich, really, really smart, really handsome, has stuff going on for him. He's like a status symbol to them. I wasn't really that guy. Mm-hmm. And so I never had the opportunity to have a have a romantic per, uh, partner in my life, up to that point. Mm-hmm. Never went to prom, never had a girlfriend. And when you're a teenage guy, and even as a young adult, never having a girlfriend just feels like torture. Mm-hmm. So I met my Calculus two professor, and she was like my dream girl, everything I ever wanted. Uh, I never had a good relationship with my mother. I grew up in a single mother household, mm-hmm. which definitely explains why I had uh, low confidence, low self-esteem, and I had a hard time talking to other people. So I was always looking for that motherly figure, kind of like what you see in the animes, how like these main characters, they have, they don't have a biological mother, but they have like an adoptive mother who's like younger, who might be their aunt or just an adoptive like neighbor who took them in. They're very motherly, very uh, beautiful, very ladylike, very kind, very soft-spoken. I always, someone who you would expect to be a very good mother. I always gravitated towards those types of women. And my calculus two professor was entirely that. And uh, she was very sweet. She always wore summer dresses and she wore like a nice sweater on top of it. And she was very soft-spoken. She knew how I struggled a lot in school, and she was actually an empath, meaning she really connected with my emotions. And uh, I was just really thankful that I found someone like her in my life. She was about eight years older than me, uh, and this was back when I was like 18 years old, so she was really young. And I just really, that's when I developed limerence for her. I didn't know it was limerence at the time, but I was just so attached to her. That like I she filled so many holes in my life that I was looking for, 
like C helped me so much. See, I got a, I got, I was acing calculus too, but I ended up with a B in the class. But I finally felt like with her, like I was, I was actually capable of accomplishing what I put my mind to, because I failed so many things in high school. I failed as a wrestler. I failed as a student. I've, I wanted to be a doctor, so I failed. My I failed in chemistry. I had to retake it in college, and um, I've barely passed physics, and I barely passed my math classes, and I felt like I barely qualified for calculus one. Felt like I barely passed calc one. And I got into calc two, but it's finally when I got to calc two, I was understanding the material, and I was learning from. Basically, the type of woman I was looking for in my entire life—something my mom wasn't really able to be. My mom was pretty verbally abusive uh, growing up, and she definitely hurt my self-esteem and my self-confidence growing up. Uh, being that's just like what typical for young men who grow up in single mother households—they don't have masculine figures to help them build confidence that's routing in humility. What's so important for men is that they have positive male role models, because you can't learn this stuff. You can't learn how to be a a man, a masculine man, from this reading a textbook. You have to have the examples and the mentors. And I didn't have that growing up. I had that somewhat in wrestling. That's where I started learning how to look people straight in the eye, talk clearly, how to stand up straight and hold myself in a conversation. And how to be respectful, and while still being respectful to myself, especially, and to not put myself down, and the having the self-improvement mindset rather than just making excuses all the time. I developed that in wrestling, and meeting that my professor, who ended up being my limer and utter, see made me help me grow and made me realize that I wasn't stupid. And unfortunately, at the end of that semester. She ended up moving to a different college, very far away, because she was only part time. She got a full time job somewhere else, and she was also getting married. I wasn't dumb enough to think that I was gonna be with her, but just talking to her and just seeing her and just hearing her voice, and just knowing that she is someone in my life who I can, who I can say, is someone who is in my life. I was extremely thankful for, her. and the fact that she was going to be gone for I don't know how long, it really bothered me. And when I found out that she was leaving, I was never able to get over it. And my limerence at that point was so intense, I would actually have dreams about her, and this was this was very unintentional.、Uh, I would unintentionally have dreams about my professor who I was limerent for. And I just couldn't stop thinking about her. I ended up thinking about her every hour of every day, just because of the holes I felt she filled in my life. I was doing better in school, like I said. I had basically my my dream woman just in my life, not a romantic partner, but just being in my life, just having a motherly figure, a caring motherly figure in my life. And she was that person, and all of a sudden I was losing her, and it just really bothered me. And so, 
interesting thing, a uh, funny story is that uh, I asked, I offered to be her assistant at her new college, and she ended up hiring me at that spot on my last day. And she was, um, I was very happy. I was like, that entire summer, I was telling all my friends, all my classes, like, hey, I'm going to be a, yeah, I'm going to be a student assistant for my professor. They didn't know I was limited for her, and I tried really hard not to show I was obsessed with this woman, but I was just really happy. Going into that fall, uh, everything kind of just fell apart again, academically. That was, after that was probably the worst two years of my life. It took me two years to pass calculus three, and every single time, I see is my I see minus is passing, but I kept getting D pluses every single semester, and that just teared apart my self confidence. I couldn't get a girlfriend. I still kept in touch with my professor. Um, unfortunately, she ended up not hiring me, or we ended up not going through with me being her assistant, just because. Turns out she didn't need one. Um, when she found when the more as time went on, and in a sense, she was all I ever wanted in my life was a sense of confidence, knowing that I was academically capable. I was intelligence-wise, I was capable, and she helped me realize that. And she was the woman of my dreams. She was the woman I always wanted in my life. She was the sweet motherly woman that I always wanted in my life, whether it was romantic or just as emotional support, she was just all I ever wanted. And so that just made my limerence even worse because being with her for only four months during my spring freshman uh, semester, she, um, my life was happy. I, I was even looking back now, those four months were the happiest months this time in my life, just being with her and just being around her, just being her student. And I was her favorite student, I knew. Uh, funny story, uh, we actually connected on a very personal level because what ended up happening, she related to me a lot in terms of academic struggles. A funny story that happened between us, for a whole week, she ended up canceling class because he wasn't feeling well in the morning. And then by the time she came back, the dean came in and talked to her after class. And it turns out she got in trouble because she's not allowed to um, cancel class just like that for this entire week, this last minute. And she said she just wasn't feeling well in the morning. And from what a lot of students asked, some students actually complained about her, saying that she was too easy and that the other calculus professors are more challenging and that they teach more in-depth material, even though I was learning the concepts very well. It was actually from her class that I was managed to pass calculus-based physics one and two, which are extremely difficult classes. And I was able to pass them on my first tries, whereas a lot of people would take some three or four tries just to pass. So when I found out that the dean said that she wasn't as smart or no, she just wasn't as challenging or teaching material well enough. I went to his office one day and I told him, I showed him my test papers. My first test paper, I got a D, but then the next paper, I got a B plus and the third paper, I got an A. 
and I was I really understood the material very well and I just showed him my test papers and he said uh, he looked at each problem and he said because he was a math professor before and he said yeah uh, he's actually a pretty good professor yeah these these questions are pretty challenging and they go over all the concepts that you need to know he's actually a good professor so uh, yeah thank you for showing me that I take back what I said is essentially what he said and uh, I found out that she applied for a full-time job at my college but she didn't get the job someone else did and so I was wondering maybe it was because of the comments and the criticisms that she has received and I asked him about that is that probably the reason why you guys didn't want to give her a full-time position here so oh no she got a full-time position somewhere else actually and uh, it turns out she was pregnant and um I had no idea she was pregnant, and the dean just told me that out of nowhere. And that really shocked me. I was like, wait, what? My professor is pregnant? So yes, uh, I, I thought you knew. It was like, no, I didn't know, and I probably didn't need to know that. That's really personal information. And I got a little scared because I thought I would get in trouble possibly for knowing such personal information. Um, I knew she was engaged at the time. But uh, I didn't know she was already pregnant. And I felt really bad. And I did have a crush on her. So when I found out, I, I ended up throwing up right afterward. Wow. Wow. Because I just it was just so much information. And I just didn't know how to handle it. I knew I wasn't going to be with her romantically. But yet, it, yeah. it just the shock of it all just it was too much for me that my body and I ended up throwing up in the bathroom right afterward and I felt bad for finding out so I ended up telling my professor the next day and I told her about how I talked to the dean and she was very thankful that I told the dean and I like I defended her and like he took back his comments and she was very grateful for me and uh that's when we really connected more than what we were before like uh she was really happy and like she was very thankful that I was her student and she did admit to me, yes, I am pregnant. And I was going through morning sickness, which is why I didn't show up. And uh, we ended up talking a lot more, and we, we ended up learning more about each other. And it was at that point I kind of knew that we were really close as a student and a professor. And so I wouldn't say that made my limerence worse. It just made me develop a stronger connection with my professor so after two years of, on my fourth try, after that, I finally passed Calculus 3. I haven't seen my professor at all in person. I just talked to her through emails. In the previous year, I wanted to see her in person. I asked her, hey, uh, may I come visit you at your new college? I, I'd just like to see, say hi, see how you're doing. And uh, she said, uh, I can't really do it. I'm just busy with, you know, I just gave birth to my child. And uh, I'm just busy. And um, my second year, when I finally got a community college, because that was when I finally passed Calc 3, and I actually passed Calc 4 also. So it was just really Calculus 3 that was just the huge chain that was holding me down, that was keeping me in community college. I decided uh, it was maybe I can just swing by her college, her new college, and just say hi to her. I was thinking, is that the right thing to do? 
I asked my calculus one professor, who I'm still on very good terms with today. She's a very nice woman, and she's definitely uh, she's close to retiring. Told her about the whole thing. She kind of knew about my crush on my calc two professor, and she would even jokingly say, "Oh, the professor you're madly in love with." And it was a kind of, it was like, nah, it's pretty obvious. And um, I told her like, "Hey, I kind of, you think it would be okay for me to just come and visit her out of nowhere?" Um, I don't remember all the specifics, but I came to the idea that it was okay. So, and it was at this time I didn't have a car. So I saved up all the money I had. It was just to take an Uber, like almost two hours away, just to come and say hi to her. And just I, I made her a gift basket because uh, she told me at the time that she was pursuing her PhD. And I just wanted her like just say hi and just be casual about it, and just say hi and see how she's doing. The one day I do all that. I show up. Turns out she calls in sick that day, and she had no idea I was coming. And this was entirely coincidental. It was the worst day of my life because I I pulled every single penny I had just to pay for the Uber just to come see her. And turns out she didn't even show up. And but that's the thing. She didn't even know I was gonna show up, and um, I left her a note saying, "Hey, I swung by just to say hi, and I'm sorry about. I, I was just really sad, and I was just wondering how sad I felt that she just wasn't there. And it was at that point my professor started feeling really uncomfortable around me. I could just tell, and she just told me." In a nice way, over the emails, I can't believe you showed up to my college. She didn't even apologize to me, which shows that she didn't feel obligated to see me.、Um, she said, "Listen, I have hundreds of students every year.、Um, I think it's time that you move on, or at least focus on your other professors. I mean, you're going to transfer to a university next year, like what you told me." Just focus on that, and the most I can do for you is just wish you the best. And at that point, I kind of just got the sense that she didn't want to talk to me anymore. She didn't want to be in my life anymore. And it just—I couldn't stop thinking about that. This idea that this person who filled so many holes in my life is going to be gone forever. And. After I, I kept it like、um, I didn't think about it for like, or I didn't reply back to her for like three weeks, and I didn't know what to think. And I brought it up to my calculus one professor. I showed her the email, and she was nice, but she also said that maybe you shouldn't. I think it's time that you move on. And I didn't utter under understand what it felt like to move on from my limer and utter from my professor. I didn't even know I was limering for at the time, and I didn't know how to respond to that. Like, just know what it's like to live a life without my professor, because ever since I met her, when I was with her as a as a student, I was very happy. And after she wasn't my professor, the two years after that, I felt extremely miserable that she wasn't around anymore. And it just made me feel really sad, 
and I didn't know how to respond to a life or just react how to live a life without her. And then I went to uh, another f- uh, colleague of mine. Um, he was a dean at uh, my college, and he was like a—he was really interesting. He was a—he was definitely like a, an old head, as some people call it, especially in African American culture. Always came to school in like a power suit, a fedora, shades, rings on every single finger, and he even told me, "Yeah, I had a lot of girlfriends during my time back when I was younger." So he was a he was a real ladies man. He had a lot of confidence in himself. Explained him the whole thing, and he said, "The thing is, though, he didn't know how to respond to someone who was limerent, and he didn't know how to give me the advice that I needed." He told me, "He said, 'Oh, you better block her out of your life. Oh, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble. So like, she doesn't care about you. She never cared about you. She was just being nice to you." So I wait, what? So all that kindness she showed me, she never cared about. She never cared about you. She just wanted. She was just being nice to you. And um, it just made me start questioning everything I knew about her. It's like, did she really care about me? Was I even important to her, or was she? Did she actually care about me? And he kept telling me she never cared about you. She's just being nice to you. She doesn't want to make your feelings hurt. And he could have been right or he could have been wrong. I I don't know. And it just made my emotions even worse. So that's when I emailed her and I was just apologizing for everything. I was telling her, I just can't imagine, you know, you not being in my life anymore. And that was when she told me, is that never talk to me again. It's like, you're a student. You need to realize that you need to respect my time and space. Our time together is over. Next time you contact me, I'm just gonna refer it to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna respond. I'm gonna bring it up to the to the campus safety. And essentially, at that, I was lucky that she didn't even file a restraining order against me. But that just tore me down. That she even said that to me, and I didn't know who else to talk to. So I called my dean friend again, and then he just told me she never cared about you. Look what I told you. I told you all of this, man. So look, man, I'm just trying to look out for you. She never cared about you. I was right. And everything he said just made things even worse. And that was, it was at that point that I had, I was just morbidly depressed. Worse than when I was doing terribly in high school and academically when I was doing terribly in college. Worse than when I couldn't pass calculus too. It was the lowest point. And I mean that it was the lowest point I ever been in my life. Even looking back, and this was four or five years ago, it was the lowest point I've ever been in. And I definitely felt very suicidal. And it was at that point I realized I need to go see a doctor. I don't know how my body can react to this, and I I I think I need to be put on antidepressants. And that's when I was on antidepressants for the first time in my life, because. I needed to, I needed help medically on how I could deal with not being around her anymore. The thing is, I also want to mention, after she left, the semester after she left, I went to therapy just to understand, just to live with the idea of how I can cope with not seeing her anymore, how、um, I can live my life without her. The therapy gave good advice. 
but therapy can't exactly help you with limerence. And it gave me the right ideas like, hey, I need to live my life. I need to, she's no longer around. I got to find someone else or at least I have to, I have to love myself first is what they said. And that was all very good advice. But it's not enough to overcome limerence. It's not enough to overcome your obsession, your deep emotional, almost spiritual attachment to someone else. And that's why I knew I had to be on antidepressants because therapy helped, but it didn't help enough. So my first year in university, I was on antidepressants. And I was doing pretty well in school. I was doing better. I was, I actually got on the honor roll, which is crazy to me. And I'm an engineering major, so the, all the, all the classes were hard. And I felt much happier when I was on antidepressants. I felt more calm. But the thing is, I became dependent on these antidepressants. And when I started using them less or I forgot to take my antidepressants in the morning, my I would become very irritable or very intense. I would feel almost angry or at least very, um, not exactly angry, but I wouldn't feel, uh, I wouldn't feel at peace anymore. I wasn't calm. I was very intense. Like even when I was in class, when the professor is teaching something, I just felt very irritated and I'm like, okay, what do we have to learn? What are the specifics I need to know? I guess in a sense it made me more focused in being a, a student and being in my academics, not being on antidepressants. Because when I was on antidepressants, I would sometimes not even do my homework just because I was just so calm or I just wouldn't care anymore about anything. As soon as I was off antidepressants, that just became a complete 180. And speaking of 180s, it was so hard for me to adjust to my professor saying that stuff to me because I even showed it to all my colleagues and my friends and they said, yeah, she just pulled a 180 on you out of nowhere. It just, it was just so uncharacteristic of like all the emails she sent, she like all the words of encouragement, all the kindness she showed you. It was just a complete 180. And same with my antidepressants. I was very calm. I was at peace when I was on antidepressants, but as soon as I'm not on them, I become even worse. I, I pull a complete 180. I'm very frustrated. I'm very angry. I'm very focused. And it was actually, then I met one of my closest friends probably for the rest of my life. He said, um, that first semester when I met him when I was off of antidepressants, he said I thought, he thought I was a jerk because I always looked angry. I always looked serious. Like I didn't want, I was very irritated. That's how I look like. But then I eventually told him, yeah, that was the first time I was off with antidepressants. So it was at that moment when I found out about myself. I was going through antidepressant withdrawal for like three or four months. And I couldn't. Um, I just knew I needed to be off of them. I needed to know how to not be dependent on antidepressants. Because the way it works at Big Pharma and just antidepressants in general They're not there to fix you. They're there to turn you into a customer as long as possible. And if they could for the rest of their, for the rest of your life, 
They don't care if you become hooked on antidepressants. They care that you are a customer. And it took me four months going through this frustration and anger of antidepressant withdrawal, the symptoms and the emotions I was feeling for not being on antidepressants. Because it definitely affects you mentally and emotionally. It took me four months to come clean. And it was at that time I finally got clean from antidepressants that COVID hit and we were in my college, we were all moved online and classes were online for a year and a half. And after that, um, I became, I don't know, I just moved on in my life. I, I was getting like C's and D's in my classes and I'm like, oh, I don't care. It's, I'm just, I'm just here to pass classes. And I struggled more in school again. And when we got back in person, I had more mental breakdowns because I just couldn't do well in school. I definitely felt like I showed a lot of symptoms of someone who had ADD because I couldn't focus in school. After like five minutes, I wouldn't, I'd stop being able to pay attention to what the professor was teaching. And uh, it was at that point I actually uh, had a, I actually collapsed a couple of times in the parking lot at my college by the time we finally got back on campus just because I was taking 18 units a semester just because I couldn't pass class enough classes during my online class during COVID. And... I had I collapsed like three or four times in the parking lot just because from overwork and just from stress and just from the fact that I'm trying to learn all these concepts but I just wasn't understanding them. Just how I was in high school, just how I was in community college, and now I'm living through them again. Thankfully though, my mom knew I was on antidepressants and she started being nicer to me. She uh, looked it up and she found a, a program uh, where they kind of help you train yourself to counter ADD. It was extremely expensive, but it was very helpful. And turns out my deficiency in my learning was that I was very intelligent in terms of, uh, it was called a Gibson test. They said I was a genius level at visual processing, and I was above average for like uh, hearing critical thinking, uh, all these concepts. But the one thing I was, I, it's on a scale of 1 to 100. I scored less than a 1 in long-term memory. I was like, less than a 1 in long-term memory? So how long is this long-term memory? And the person who was in charge of the program said, and this can be as short as 30 seconds. From the test that, from the Gibson test you took, you don't you can't remember things for a long time and typically people with uh, bad long-term memory they are usually people with ADD and ADHD and so that makes a lot of sense and after that point uh, she gave me a plan that I was teaching with um, it's called learning prescription that's the company called uh, I was learning how to like remember understand things or remember things for as short as 30 seconds and focus and i remember when i would have conversations with people i always always go off tangent about random things 
but it was from this um, training that I received that that my mom was able to help me get. Uh, I was learning uh, how to remember things, how to focus and stay on track. Uh, all these symptoms I had that was typically associated with people with ADD, I was no longer experiencing them. I was doing better, much better in school. And I was I passed all 18 years of my class after a couple of months of receiving that training. And I was finally doing better. I wasn't a straight A student, but I was getting, I was passing my classes. I was getting C's and B's at least. And these were upper division engineering courses. And this entire time though, I, I still remember my professor the entire time. I was trying to forget about her. Antidepressants didn't help me overcome my limerence for her, but I still remembered her and I still had dreams about her. In fact, this is probably like the sixth or seventh year uh, after I first, last time I saw her, and I still was having dreams about her unintentionally. And I was always thinking about her and wondering how she was doing almost every hour. And this was going on for at least eight years by now. Four years after, uh, four or five years after she left me. And I was just getting so frustrated with no longer being able to see her. And sometimes I'd still get frustrated over other things too that it was just, I understood it was best to be back on antidepressants. And unfortunately, I'm still on antidepressants to this day. I finally graduated college. I accomplished a lot when I was a student in university. I became one of the most successful, most well-rounded students in the entire engineering department of my college, even though my grades weren't the best. But I had a lot of opportunities. I was on multiple engineering teams at my college. I had at least three internships uh, when I was in college. And I did all these things, in fact, just to forget about my professor, to keep my mind occupied. Because something about limerent people is that they're very obsessive. But if you can channel that obsessive energy towards bettering yourself and building yourself, that's almost a cheat code. That's almost like an unfair advantage for you since you are so obsessed with building yourself. And in order to overcome my limerence for my professor, I did so much to build myself. I was involved in multiple engineering teams to the point I got multiple internship offers. When I graduated, I had multiple job offers. Yet I could never overcome my limits for my professor, even to this day. I still think about my professor for almost every hour. The thoughts aren't as destructive as they were when it first started. So let's say I was at 100% in the past when I first lost my professor. I'd say I'm about a 10 or 20% right now, even on antidepressants. But sometimes that can go back up to 80%, 90%. It can drop to 40%. My limerence levels for my professor, my obsession for her will definitely, one day I'll feel fine, but the next week I'll really miss her. Whenever I'm reminded of a sweet, kind, motherly figure, I'll always, my limits for my professor will always come, 
come back and it'll get worse and more intense and to this day I'm I still miss my professor I still think about her I never contacted her again and I want to respect her time and space I hope she's doing well but I can never overcome my my thoughts where I miss her I always miss my professor no matter what to this day which is why I'm even on this podcast just to even talk about this I have a job now in fact I'm a small business owner that was something I started I even started my own small business after I lost my professor and it's been going extremely well ever since I've done all these things in fact I started drawing and I entered art contests which I would win in manga in fact, I even started working with manga artists and I even wanted to start writing my own manga and I actually have my own art and my own portfolio that actually got me accepted into a manga international school. Yet all these things, my limits for my professor just never went away. That obsessive energy which I was able to channel helped me build myself and develop all these skills do all these college teams, all these internships, get all these job offers, start my own small business, be very successful in business. And even to this day, I'm still even building even more. I'm I, I there's so much I so much potential in what I can do. Yet my limits for my professor it never went away. It tones down sometimes. Sometimes it goes back up whenever I'm reminded of, um, let's say I watch an anime and I'm my I see a very mildly sweet figure. Yet, I can never forget about her and my limits will always go high or go low. And so that's why I'm here. That's what I was trying to say today. I'll talk about my limits for my professor. So yeah, that's what, what I had to say. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing sharing your story. I, I think um, I think people I think people would be surprised to um, to know just how many people out there are, are really struggling with the same thing. I um, I found a Reddit uh, a subreddit called R slash Limerence, and you know I read I read the stories on there and. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap, and I think your story is, is unique um, and definitely more intense than I think most people experience limerence. But um, but a lot of the the same thought patterns and suffering, obsession, um, the way it distorts your thinking, and the way that you feel that longing and that missing um, for almost for something that you kind of never fully had I feel like um, there's some common threads and all I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of people out there who, who feel alone in their attachments to people who, who, who want nothing to do with them anymore and questioning like are they are they lovable are they good enough um, and trying to fill that void with um, yeah, I guess trying to work harder or make themselves prettier or more attractive and 
I think that a lot of people out there will will benefit to to knowing that they're not alone and that there's hope. Um, so I wanted to know, like, given the fact that you're thinking about um, your professor and you've gone through these really tough times, what is it that allowed you to keep going and to get through those hard times and what do you hope for in the future? Uh, so one thing that really helped me is that I really learned how to love myself and to really appreciate myself and be my number one person in my corner even if it's I'm the only person in my corner. I understand that as a man and this is controversial to a lot of people, but a lot of what people like Andrew Tate have to say is that the world doesn't care about us men. Even Chris Rock says this, the comedian. People don't care about you as a man unless you're able to provide something that they want. For example, Chris Rock said this. When a woman says uh, she found someone and she's getting married and she tells her friends, the women all ask, oh, what does he do? They're trying to see, judge the man by how much he's able to provide. And this shows a lot in dating also when women want men who are the top 1%. I mean, if you look at data from OkCupid and women look at the men who are on these dating apps like OkCupid, they find 80% of the men on there ugly, 10% as average, and only 10% of them as attractive. Whereas for men, it's more 50-50. Maybe 40% of the women are ugly, maybe 20-30%. You would have to look at the studies themselves. It's available online. Uh, it's more average, more balanced. Like 40% are ugly, 40% are average. Maybe 20% are really attractive. Whereas for men, we really have to provide if we want to uh, be seen as valuable to other people, especially women. Andrew Tate even said this himself, that women will rag on you as a man. He said this before. Let me try to remember it. He said, a woman will rag on a man saying he's useless while she sits in the chair that the man built in the factory and designed in an engineering field. She will jump into a car that a man built in a factory and a man probably most likely designed, drive on a road that men, construction workers built and construction contractors worked really hard, worked overtime in order to build just to sit in front of a camera built by men and designed by men to tell the whole world that men are useless. And it just goes to show that as men, we need to provide in order to be seen as value, valuable to society and especially to women. If this is the reality, which is the reality that we live in as men, you need to know how to love yourself, even if you're the only person in your life who loves yourself. Because in life, the only person who will ever love you unconditionally 
is God if you choose to believe in God and your mom. And most people, their mothers don't even love them. So you you need to be able to provide as a man and be able to be someone in order to be loved. Because if you don't, if you get laid off, if you get into an accident, you're crippled for the rest of your life. As like a lot of some construction workers are when they fall off ladders, and they're crippled from the waist down for the rest of their life, and they can't provide. They have to drink from a tube from the rest of their life. There, some some wives actually leave their husbands when that happens. So I, I think there's some truth to what you're saying in the sense that.、Um, That women are, are looking for men who can provide,、um, especially financially.、Um, maybe part of that is social status and competence.、Um, but but doesn't it cut both ways in the sense that a lot of men are looking for just pretty women? Maybe they have the right figure.、Um, they're elegant. They're fashionable. And so, like you're saying that you know the. That the world of women is going to value men based on, on these characteristics like height and,、um, you know, income and accolades.、Uh, I guess career-wise, don't you think that men also then look at women and say, "Hey, how can you provide for me in the sense of like, are you good at housekeeping or what, whatever those gender norms have been? Or like, how much do you weigh?"、Um, And, and you gave this example of how,、um, you know, a lot of wives will, will leave their husbands when they when they lose their job, or you know, leave their boyfriend when they lose their job, and that's true. But is it not also true that a lot of husbands will 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 devalue their wives when when they get fat or or ugly or things like that? That is true, and I'd say that does go both ways. Hmm. So yes, I do agree with what you just said about how. There are some men like that who are out there.、Mm-hmm. Obviously, not all women are like that. Even though it seems to become more prevalent now in our society, or at least、mm-hmm. it's what seems to be stick out the most as、uh, maybe as an outlier. Maybe most of the time,、mm-hmm. no one really knows.、Mm-hmm. And it's true that some men only value women for their appearances,、mm-hmm. as seen in some、uh, successful people you see on social media. How they will just sleep around with a lot of women. These guys are multimillionaires who just sleep around with women, and they refuse to get married. And they essentially just see women as a as a one night stand, essentially. So I could definitely see it going both ways, and I do agree with you. But I'm just speaking from the male perspective, though.、Yeah. Although when it comes to some women, though, like I said before, when Chris Rock asked. When a woman asks、uh, other tell other women, it's like, "Well, what does your your husband, what does your fiance do?" Whereas when men say they're getting married, they say, "Oh, is she pretty? Is she kind?、Um, how, how is she as a person?" For men, I just believe that the standard is much higher. They need to provide,、mm-hmm. and they have to be good people, and. They have to be the family man. If a woman of a high value woman is looking for that in a man, and those are high value women who look beyond just wealth, and there are women like that out there. But 
as a man, you need to provide. Whereas as for a woman, you have to be, you only just have to be kind and you have to be caring and you have to be someone who's family oriented if that's what the man is looking for. So men have to be that also, but they also have to be providers. And the, being the provider is a very difficult role. And that's sets the standard even higher. So that's why I think men have higher standards when it comes to finding a romantic partner. Whereas for a woman, their standards are so high also. You still have to be kind and caring and someone with values. But you're not exactly expe- always expected to be a provider when you're a woman. As you are with when you're a man. You mentioned how how the only people um, you know who will love you unconditionally is God, if you believe in a loving God um, and your mother. Um, and I think you've you've kind of mentioned you know times in the recent past that your mother has been supportive, helping you um, helping you get through these hard times. Um, but you also mentioned you know your mother being ver- verbally abusive and that affected your self-esteem. What were some of the things that your mother told you that you think affected how you saw yourself um, growing up? Oh, she definitely called me stupid a lot when I couldn't understand things in school, mm-hmm. and she would try to teach me. And when I couldn't, when I made mistakes, she would call me stupid, and she would yell at me a lot to the point that. Really, whenever I made a mistake, she would just verbally, uh, verbally break me down. And as a child, when you just hear that for decades, just your entire life, and you don't have a father in your life to help you support yourself on an emotional level, or just no male figures in your life, and that's all you hear, that definitely tears you down. My mom, she's not perfect, and I know she cares about me, and ever since I've been on antidepressants and she once she found out I was cutting myself because of the things, the way she treated me, she became a lot nicer to me and she definitely, my mom eventually apologized to me and she said sorry for all of that, but she just wants me to know that she still loves me, but she just doesn't have the best way to uh, explain herself to me or just show that, or be able to support me. Like, no one is perfect, and no mother is perfect. Even my professor, who I eventually found out, she has a lot of beliefs that I heavily, heavily disagree with. So no woman is perfect, and no mother is perfect. And so... Did uh, you ever ever get to talk to your mom about maybe why she ended up being like that. Uh, my mom ended up gaslighting me, saying that um, I should be able to ignore all that, considering that she put food on the table for me, and that she bought me clothes, she drove me to school. So she said that should be all able to be ignored. I see. Do you know yeah. about her parents and how they treated her? Uh, so my grandfather, so her father, she, uh, he passed away when my mom was only in second grade. And my mom wasn't really around her mom. No, my mom wasn't around my grandma, so her mom, for um, um, 
most of her job because she was always working. So her older sisters kind of raised her also. In a sense, she kind of raised herself also. And uh, my mom definitely had an attitude growing up from what she told me. So I guess you could say she was that pretty girl with an attitude that all the guys liked. But everyone knew she had an attitude. I mean, my mom was like a pageant queen back in her home country. So, and she definitely had a lot of boyfriends growing up. So, which country did she grow up in? Um, I'd rather not say on podcast, but it was in Southeast Asia. I see. Yeah. Um, did um, I mean, it must have been really hard to grow up without your dad being around. Did you ever try to reconnect or? see what happened i saw my dad a couple of times growing up uh he always worked in a different state and um i didn't i do have a decent relationship with my biological father and um i respect him um and i understand he wasn't even perfect either and i understood why my mom took her frustrations that she felt with my dad out on me based on what some of the unethical decisions my dad made during his lifetime, especially to my mother. So, yeah, that does that answer your question? Yeah, that answers my question. Um, um, going back to, to the limerence, um, I think you seem to be more self-aware nowadays that, um, you know, what you really wanted that, that resonated with you on such a deep level was, hey, you wanted that motherly figure, figure who is going to support you and like tell you that, hey, you, you're, you're capable, you can do it, like you have value, um, you know, I care about you. Do you think that, I guess the question is, why is it so hard to believe that there's someone or something else out there that could supply that. Um, sorry, what was the question exactly? So I guess the question, is, and, and I, I mean this goes for, for me and a lot of people who experience limerence, is that we, we get attached to the idea that... We need someone who's able to tell us that. Yeah, I th- well I think deep down, I think deep down a lot of it is that. But um, more or less what I'm saying is that there's, there's probably a lot of people in the world, right? There's like 4 billion women um, who, you know, I'm sure that there's people out there who could eventually, you know, assuming that like we, we become people who are like you said, providers are, are healthy and, and, and high value who would see value in us and would believe that we have potential and potentially love us unconditionally. Um, and so the question is, what is it, what do you think it is that makes us believe that, oh, it's that these, these particular people are so special that they're irreplaceable. Hmm. Do you think about that? So why am I so limerent for my professor? Well, it's not, it's not just that, but it's that, like, um, I guess the question is, 
do for you do you, do you think that your professor is like so special that that she's worth thinking about all the time or is it more like hey you see her for exactly for how she is i mean she's just like a like yes she's a very kind compassionate teacher who you connected with at one point in your life um and you don't really understand why it's why it's so hard to move on or do you see her as someone who's like so special that like you kind of found this like one in a million person well i connected with this woman so fundamentally especially so personally considering all the holes i had in my life like i needed a motherly figure in my life i need someone supportive and physically and visually she was very uh she was very beautiful she uh dressed always wore a summer dress every day so she really fulfilled almost like that archetypal like a uh, woman that literally figure you see in like animes and mangas and i grew up reading watching those and now i even produce those mm-hmm. types of content so we connected so personally and she was everything personality wise that i always wanted so and i never met someone like that in my entire life and i've never seen or encountered someone like that in my entire life so that's why i connected her like she was only like the one in a million person because i've never encountered someone like her in my life wow. um do you ever i guess nowadays like you know given that this that this that it would, it's it's basically impossible for you ever to reconnect with her do you ever hope that um like hey maybe I should go search the world and see if there's someone else out there like her. So the thing about me is I'm an extremely ambitious individual. Being limerence is a blessing and a curse at the same time because we have high levels of, of obsession and commitment to what we're interested in. I've accomplished a lot of amazing things, I would say, or at least... I try to say as humbly as possible because there's even more I can accomplish in the fields and the interests that I have. I'd rather chase that and maybe along the way find someone who can help me support that, who, who can help support me, and who I can support also while I pursue my ambitions. But I don't want that to be my one goal because one thing I just want to say during this podcast, you need to be the only person or you need, if you are the only person in your corner, you have to be the person who supports and loves yourself the most out of anyone. Because no one else in this world will love or support you always or unconditionally. Only you can. And in my ambitions and my pursuits, I want to become a manga artist. Uh, I want to continue being a small business owner. And I want to expand, I want to grow, and I I love gymnastics, I love racing fast cars, I love building fast cars, I love welding, I love drawing, uh, I love being an athlete, being a boxer, being a grappler, being a professional weightlifter, competing in competitions, doing all these things. Uh, that I find genuine interest and satisfaction in and that I want to continue to grow even more in. And 
it was with my limerence I realized that I have this level of obsession and this level of commitment, this discipline, focus, and precision that will help me accomplish whatever I want to accomplish, or at least come as close as to what I want to accomplish. And so finding that one person in the world who is for me, maybe I'll find them along the way. No one can really make certain who they are. Uh, There's like 6.5 billion people in the world. Just to find that one person in every single country and everywhere you go, that shouldn't be your my goal. That shouldn't be anyone's goal. It should be your goal to be the best person you want to be in whatever you want to be in. I mean, yeah, I, 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 um, I agree with you to a large extent in the sense that we are the only person you're going to wake up with every day is you, and the only person who's going to be with you at all times every day is you. And so, you know, if you don't fix the problems within you, they're going to follow you wherever you go. Um, I think that one of the dangers here, though, that I see that I, I feel in myself, and, and I'm sure a lot of people who experience limerence feel, is that we, we, you know, we kind of almost, the way I see it, it almost failed in kind of this, um, in this goal of, of being with the people that we're limerent for. And so then we've kind of settled for just being ambitious and just finding new things that bring us joy or we're obsessed with. And, and I think that, I think there's, there's, there's definitely value in that because we have to move forward. But are, are you not afraid that you, you would spend your entire life kind of working on these dreams um, but then never actually experience real intimacy and um, love. I do fear that. I will agree that I might never find that special someone and I won't find anyone in my life who um, will be able to love me uh, on that intimate level. But some of the greatest people in life, like Nikola Tesla, for example, very handsome guy, uh, real ladies man, um, never got married, yet he accomplished such amazing things and he influenced so much in electrical engineering. I mean, there's even a car company now that's named after him just because of how amazing he was in his pursuits and how he just kept to himself. That Sigma male mentality that you hear a lot in uh, social media nowadays. but. I relate a lot to that Sigma male mindset when uh, when I first, the more I understood that mindset, is understood more about that. I don't like calling myself a, a Greek symbol, that Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Charlie, Sigma mentality, but there's a lot we can take from that. And if I were to classify myself I relate a lot to the Sigma male mindset where we are alone in this world because we really are. I mean, you will find, you will meet friends, you'll meet great people, but when priorities change and you have work somewhere else or you have to go somewhere else, you're going to leave them behind and they're going to go on and do their own thing also. And you just got to be thankful that you encountered and you met them. 
But in the end of the day, in this world, uh, you're always going to be alone. It's already, it's just going to be you and God. That is, if you choose to believe in God. Yeah. And the one thing that you, sh- that's why I always say, you really need to be the only guy in your corner all the time, even when there's no one else in your corner. And the one thing you should always focus on is yourself. And you can help other people, and you can be help other people in their ambitions also. But the one thing I just want to say, and I have been saying this a lot during this podcast, is that you need to be the only guy in your corner, even if you have. To, if there's one person in your corner, that guy has to be yourself. Man, I, I I definitely empathize with with that mentality. I think that. Um, I think that there's a lot of people in the world who feel like they're alone and and that they've experienced that, that people only are in their lives because of chance. Because of chance or because there's something that they offer that person, right? Like maybe it's a business it's a business transaction or maybe maybe people even fall in love, but, but when the things no longer are helping their life or or, or you know the relationship becomes unhappy then you you know you break up and you move on and, and I think that this can reinforce a mentality that well you know all I have is me so I might as well focus on me and learn how to live by life by myself um, but what I'm realizing is that as much as we want to be people who are self-sufficient those basic human needs that we have don't ever go away such as those needs for touch and for community for intimacy intimacy exactly um and i think for a long time my coping mechanism was okay i'm gonna try to be superhuman right where you're just gonna live life by myself i'm just gonna live life by myself and i'm gonna um be at peace and happy by myself but maybe the stronger, more humble thing to do is to say, wait a minute, I know that I can't make it through my life alone, or that even if I could make it through life alone, maybe I could actually be something even greater if I had dependencies on other people. What do you think about that idea? And I do see the extent, and I do agree with that also. Like some women, they want to become mothers and they want to raise a family and they need a husband. And some husbands want to be fathers. Some men want to be fathers and they need a wife in order to raise a family. And they get great satisfaction in raising a family. Uh, Because if you're just thinking about yourself all the time and just what you pursue, that's that's very hedonistic. That's hedonist, as they call it. Because at the end of the day, when we we're all dead and gone, all our accomplishments, everything we created, will all fade away. Our legacy will be gone in like a millennia or two millennia. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Olympic champions from ancient Greece, their Olympic gold medals, no one even remembers their names or their great accomplishments. And uh, they've been overshadowed by the people today, the celebrities, the athletes today. Mm-hmm. And the only people who remember are like the philosophers and the fact is 
no one really cares about them because they're just another person I got to study in a textbook. They're just another figure in a textbook who I really don't care about. So I do agree that you might need someone else just to uh, feel sufficient or just to make you feel more complete, especially with people who raise families because you can't raise a child by yourself. You really need a partner. That's why I'm a strong believer in the nuclear family. And that's probably one of the reasons why I felt so incomplete growing up because I really need a father or a male figure in my life. And uh, I did find those eventually, uh, at least temporarily, but I was able to get what I needed from them. Um, so yes, I do agree that uh, you do need someone in your life, I would say, but some people aren't always able to yeah. find that. Yeah, yeah. What, what I've seen is that, um, what I've seen is that, yeah, everybody needs to feel understood and known, but, you know, the more I look at, well, as I get older, I realize that, yeah, there are some people who want to be part of a community or they want to be in an intimate relationship, but they just will never have that option. And, you know, some, some of the people I know, it's because they have mental illness. Some of the people I know, it's because they have autism. Um, some of the friends that I have, it's because whatever, they went through some trauma, they had a bad household. It's like, there's a lot of reasons, but... Um, but eventually they start believing that it's not even possible for them. And once you believe it's not possible, you know, you, you're not gonna head in that direction to, to make yourself someone who's able to be plugged into um, a loving community. But, but I don't blame them because cause, cause from what I've seen, you can get to a place where you're, you're, you're so help, helpless that no one wants to be part of your life because everybody's trying to like, you know, do their own thing. To do their own thing, upgrade their life, and and I see that all these other people they get left behind, and um, it's sad. And and I, I don't I don't really know what to do about it. Um, but from what I've seen, people are resilient and they, they figure it out, um, and even and, and they go through these kind of hard times of loneliness and rejection, but they learn to to find their peace and and live their, their life within the constraints that they've been given. Um, but some people, some people don't make it through, right? Some people give up on life and, um, and I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's, um, our place to judge them for, for their decision. Cause okay. yeah, I, I, as you, as I get older, I, I think you realize like, that that um, no one no one understands what what someone's feeling or going through unless unless they've been through it themselves. Um, we can only try to guess. So I um, yeah, I guess um, my response to that. So. No matter where you go in life, there's always going to be someone else, even if they're only temporary. Mm -hmm. So I say that 
you will always be alone in your life. Mm-hmm. That's relative. I mean, mm-hmm. in your personal life, like everywhere you go, in every single moment, you will be by yourself. I mean, I believe in God, so I always have God with me, and that I find great fulfillment in that, knowing that I have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Not everyone wants that, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But um, when you reach the top, one thing I learned, or at least wherever you go, the path's always going to be alone, but at your destination, or at least the launching pad where you reach to reach you in other heights, you will meet people there. Like uh, Dan, um, Tom Brands, a uh, wrestling coach of Iowa, said that the path to the top is very lonely, but when you get to the top, that's where you meet people who are just like you. Mm. And that can be related to anything, whatever you do in life. Even if you aren't ambitious and you just want to work certain jobs and people come and go, you will meet people, even if they're only temporary. And when those people leave, you'll meet someone else. And that's knowing that you are alone, but you aren't really alone, at least not for a while. So that would be my response to what you just said. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that... Um it's really interesting to think about the fact that often what drives people to even want to make it to the top is the feeling of loneliness. Um, and I wonder, is it worth it? Um, to say to that, it's usually the path to the top, they don't aim for the top just because they're lonely. Mm. It just happens to be lonely because they're the only ones who want to put in the work for their specific goal. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is able to, wants to accomplish that goal mm. or takes them along with them. So... Do you, do you think do you think that's true for you? Do you, do you think that what, what motivates you to try to make it to the top of, of a couple of these fields is because... I'm alone. Yeah. No, not really. It's just, I'm not even focused on making it to the top. I just want to accomplish what I can. And the fact that I have so many interests and pursuits, and I'm so committed to what I do. Not everyone is committed to what I want to accomplish. And I need to understand that other people have different goals in their life. Everyone's unique. Everyone's different. And um, knowing, understanding that knows will help you understand that you are alone to an extent. And the path is in and of itself. You're the only one on your path. So relatively, you are alone. But along that path, you will meet people who will come and go. So you're not really alone. So it's not loneliness that drives me. It's the fact that I'm just really committed and obsessed with what I want to accomplish. And that's becoming a manga artist as an American, which is very uncommon, but... Even if I fail and that never happens, I just want to know that in my last moment that I did everything I could to accomplish that. And that is an understanding that I really did everything I could and I tried to be more than what I saw, what I am. And I took every opportunity that I could find or that I can make to reach that goal. And if I reach that goal, amazing, I'm happy. But there's always something more you can aim for. 
What are some manga or anime that you'd recommend uh-huh. um, and that have inspired you? Oh, Goblin Slayer for sure. I love his commitment and his trauma of watching his whole village and watching his older sister, who essentially is, was the one who raised him, watching her getting, um, all getting uh, annihilated by goblins. And so he spends every waking moment, every single thought he has in this annihilating goblins back when no one else wants to. Uh, funny even seeing even in the manga he's uh he has friends yeah he has a lot of people who uh come and go in his life and uh there are other adventurers who meet him who at first didn't like him but they respect him later on like for example uh, a character called heavy weapon warrior or that's what he's referred to uh they're trying to teach the new adventures generation adventures at the school at that the guild has and he just asks him, what are you thinking right now? And Goblin Slayer just revi- replies very calmly, I'm thinking about how to kill goblins even more. And it's just hilarious because his whole identity, even his name is Goblin Slayer. That's what everyone refers to him by. Like, f- first thing is um, no one has names in that series. Like, someone's called Priestess, someone's called Goblin Slayer, someone's called Spearman, someone's called Witch, uh, someone's called Farm Girl characters named uh guild secretary that's who they're referred they don't have names they're they're referred to by what they do what their accomplishments are or what their interests are just what they do and i really love goblin slayer because he doesn't have special powers he's extremely resourceful he's almost like batman in the sense that he doesn't have any special abilities he uses everything in his toolkit in his arsenal he keeps count he keeps records he says okay what do i have left i have three knives left i can only use my sword seven times before the blood from goblins corrodes the metal and it's no longer sharp i need to find a new weapon if i get if i lose energy do i have a energy potion uh do i have a health potion if i get hurt if i encounter someone something that isn't a goblin uh, what tools do I have and what tools can I, can I use to just kill more goblins? And there is a funny scene where, um, he's trying to kill a goblin nest, but he encounters a giant fire magic ogre and he doesn't even know this ogre's a giant and he doesn't even know what it is. And he uses a gate scroll, which is used for transportation. He asks the witch to put it at the bottom of the ocean. And so when he, unleashes that scroll, that escape scroll, that scroll pushes, with all that water pressure, it pushes out a turret that can cut metal of water, of high pressure water, like a water jet. And it literally cut all the limbs off that ogre. And by the time he goes up to the ogre, he says, what are you again? So, And the ogre's like, at his dying moments, he's like, you would use all that magic power, that extreme power to kill goblins? And the goblins are this before he's about to cut his throat open, he just says, yeah, because goblins are more troublesome than you. <laughs> and which is a huge insult to the ogre, because an ogre is a giant ogre, and like, goblins are, like, they're weak creatures, but in numbers, they're, they're, they can wipe out civilizations, wipe out villages. So it's just this level of obsession that I disconnect with so much in just accomplishing the goals. And that he doesn't care if people don't like him. He used, he used to be alone. He met people along the way. 
But at the end of the day, it's him versus the entire goblin horde. Mm. <laughs> no, if whether he uh, he annihilates all of them or not. Oh man, I gotta gotta check it out sometime. Um, season I, two came out. Season two came out. Yeah. Uh, it's a little. Gra- it's really graphic, though. I see. I don't recommend that <laughs> for uh, guys who are don't have the strongest stomachs because. I see. Even I, when I rewatch season one, or I reread the light novel or the manga, I always skip chapter one because uh, there's something extremely graphic that, honestly, like I felt like I need to see a therapist after the uh, the horror that is shown. But it's essential to the story, just so you under readers can understand just how much of a a danger these goblins are. Goblins who everyone thinks, oh, they're weak creatures, yeah, but in numbers uh, as a horde. They're uh, they're the biggest threat to society mm. in that in that work of fiction. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the warning, but um, maybe I'll check out that chapter one. I um, watch the English dub. The English guy, dub. the reason why is because the guy who voices Goblin Slayer sounds like Master Chief from Halo. <sighs> because that guy is actually the voice actor for Goblin Slayer in English dub is actually the motion graphic actor for Doom Slayer in the Doom series, who is very similar to Goblin Slayer and Master Chief. So Master Chief, Goblin Slayer, and Doom Guy. Yeah. Those are like the three, like the guys who never take off their helmets, who have no special powers, but are complete badasses, and who are just obsessed and committed to whatever they do. Dude, you mentioned that no one in the, no one in the series um, has names. Um, do you have an idea what intent, what the intention behind that was? Uh, so my understanding was um, that series was heavily based off of like Dungeons and Dragons games oh, and like a role playing MMO style like class based games where you have a party. And so when you have a character and when you play those characters, like oh I'm warrior, I'm monk, I'm mage, I'm archmage, I'm priestess, I'm priest. So that's what they were trying to go for. That was the, the that was a huge influence behind that series. Do you uh, when you're online and stuff? Do you have a pseudonym that you use? Uh, yeah. Do you want me to? <laughs> you know, you know, you don't have to share it. I just yeah, because uh, I was just curious as if you had one. You want one for this? No. Nah, well, I mean, maybe, but it's it's not necessary. Well, I can give you one. What what is what's one? Uh, dang, the one the one I use uh, is pretty common. Like, I'm pretty big in social media. I'm I'm really big in what I do, so a lot of people kind of know my name, uh, uh, my pseudo name. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like that's what's the blessing and curse of Limerence. The fact that my simple user, very generic username, people can recognize me by that username. How does that relate to Limerence? Just my limerence is because I'm just so obsessive and committed to how much I want to grow and how much I aim towards my goal mm. that I become famous for what I create. Mm. And so everyone refers to me like, hey, who's the guy who created this? Oh, it's this guy. This is pseudonym. Yeah, just your screen name. Right? Yeah, and it's like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, he, he did this and that and that and all that. And it's like, oh, yeah, he also did this work also. And it was just that limerence, yeah. that obsession that helped me build so much. Yeah, that well, people know me for. Yeah, one of the things that I was um, 
I was listening to a video on limerence recently, and they say that one of the things that fuels it a lot is is toxic shame, is like this inner. I don't, I don't know exactly how to define it, but I kind of get the idea in the sense that it feels like there's like something to be ashamed about about who we are. Um, part of it's being embarrassed about who we are too. Do you feel that at all? No, no, absolutely not even a millimeter. I see. I love what I do. No, um, I, I don't mean what yeah. you do, but I mean yeah. like who you are as a person. Yeah, but I love everything that I do. So the point as who I am as a person, even if I don't accomplish my ambitions or mm. I come up short and I fail, which I fail a lot, mm. I'm like, well, it's whatever. Cause I'll just try again next time. No, but 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 do you feel inadequate? No, as a person, absolutely not. Mm. Maybe I could be taller and uh, I could be a little more buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering I do so many different things, I don't always have the time to like focus on my physical mm-hmm. appearance mm-hmm. as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be able to squat three hundred five for really? a butt yeah. to grass when I was only like one hundred forty pounds. Wow. But I had to chug masking or just to reach that weight because yeah. we're we're both small guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even though I'm no longer like the physical prime athlete that I used to be, um, no, I'm not ashamed of myself, not even slightly. Okay. Well, I guess <laughs> that I guess that makes makes us different in, in that sense. Oh, you feel ashamed of yourself? Well, I mean, there's aspects of myself that that I'm embarrassed about. And... Well, I think you're the most badass motherfucker ever, man. <laughs> is why I even still talk to you ten years later. <laughs> Thanks, man. I um. Yeah, you were you were the guy back then, man, and you still are. Thank you so much. Can't take that away, no matter what you do. And yeah, no, it means a lot. I um. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me it, it, it ties back into to my limerence in the sense that, um, in the sense that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't care about all of these things if I didn't have this. But because I have this, it makes me feel like oh, um, if I if I were like you said better looking, taller, buffer, um, more successful, more charismatic less broken, less weird, more fashionable. You know, I, 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 didn't, I never cared about any of these things, but, but after, after being rejected and unwanted for so long, then, you know, you start to feel like you're not, you're inadequate. But, but I guess in hindsight, looking back at my childhood, I think that underneath the surface all along was feelings of, I'm not worthy of love. Oh, who cares about yeah. that, man? Don't give a millimeter about that. You do you, man. Be the best you can be. Hey, I told uh, the guy upstairs uh, who I'm supposed to be helping out. Told him about you. He said, oh, he went to Flow National. He went to State. He uh, went to Berkeley. Did all these, like, really cool things. And, oh, that guy sounds fucking badass. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for just sharing this, this your story. And... You should work out more, dude. I, I think you look really cool if you were, like, really buff or at least a little more with more muscle it's hard to find time work on your legs dude yeah you, you got thin, you, if you had really big legs you look really badass man. thanks i uh yeah i i have that goal let's if we only we live closer to each other i'd take you to the gym and like i'd take you to one of my uh my wrestling day leg days because uh, i actually wrestled recreationally in college and i was extremely explosive like almost aj ferrari levels of explosive mm-hmm. just because I learned how to train my legs as an athlete, not for aesthetics, but just as a 
As an explosive person. Athletic power. Yeah. Yeah, but explosive power, that that fast twitch. Yeah, man. Anyway, I want to thank you for, for this agreeing talk and hope that people can find uh, relatability in your story as well as some lessons on, on how to how to get through limerence and how to improve their lives and like you said, love themselves, be confident in who they are and achieve their goals that, that's why i said we ever wrestle that probably put a good matchup between you i know you said hey I, I i did really well i went to state and stuff i went to flow nationals yeah but you don't train legs as much as i do <laughs> like you're not explosive as i am i promise you that but uh i'm not i'm, not, I'm past my prime right now so i haven't been to a gym in like months just because i've been so busy with manga mm-hmm. but uh if i was in my prime obviously if you were in your prime i was in my prime those should have would have could have yeah no yeah. it's not too late man it's not too late it's, yeah. what matters is now <laughs> yeah yeah anyway. i definitely want to put a good fight against you you, you definitely eat your words <laughs> <laughs> anyway good good luck with uh manga school and yeah just you know getting healthy staying healthy i hope i hope you also can work through um the limerence limerence and and, and also get off the meds at one day so yeah. i believe you know I, I believe that the body can heal itself if we if we keep it healthy and uh, we keep our minds and our bodies healthy, then we, we can actually get through those things. So Yeah. I really on my boots. There will always be another ton. What, what does that mean? What, do you, what does that mean to you? Um, so the reason why I wrote it is because um, funny thing is, so I really love cars. Uh, I like to drive stick shift. Mm-hmm. I tried buying a GR86 recently because my, my old car, you know, the engine yeah. blew up on the day I got laid off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just can't afford that stick shift in the economy mm-hmm. like this is like the, the cheapest stick shift you can mm-hmm. so every time this is like my uh, my clutch pedal mm-hmm. every time i look down on my my boot i just read there'll be another time like there'll be another time where i can buy yeah yeah there, like at the end of halo reach when a uh, noble six dies because he's a lone survivor on reach the planet after the covenant destroys it the mission is called there will be another time mm-hmm. And his own goal, like his mission on his hedge up display, just says survive. And that's, it's so emotional. And it just says there will be another time. That's the last mission statement you see. So that has, you don't always get what you want, but there will be another time where you can get, you can potentially get it. Yeah, no, yeah. Even if you die trying. (laughs) That that, that relates to a um, kind of a wisdom, I think, of like, okay, yeah, just survive and... And then be prepared because there will be an opportunity in the future. And when, when, when that preparedness meets the opportunity, that's when good things happen. Yeah, and even if you die trying, you can always influence someone else. That's true, too. Yeah. yeah it's not too late for other people. Pick up the torch. All right, yeah. All right, man, let's get lunch. Yeah. Thanks so much.